the best ideas are kind of counterintuitive and a little unusual and a little weird and don't make sense to people at first and you have to fight for it. So I, th- I definitely think there's some lessons when I look back on that. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, Tim Brown, co-founder of Allbirds and and also former New Zealand pro soccer player, which we're going to chat about that for in a couple of minutes. But welcome, Tim. Very excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to chat with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So Tim is, the like I said, the co-founder of Allbirds. If uh, you don't know what Allbirds is, you've been living in a closet somewhere because it is such an amazing company. It's a direct-to-consumer footwear company focused on sustainability and quality footwear. We actually, last holiday season, I didn't. I don't know if I told you this, Tim, but I furnished my entire team with Allbirds with a cute little hint on it that, uh, that it was just uh, super great. And they all loved them very, very much. And uh, it was interesting. Probably half of my team hadn't heard of you. Now they're your biggest fans. They they love them. They've bought them since. So anyway, it was just it was a great gift. So if you're if you're still trying to think about a team, uh, maybe not a gift for this holiday season, but uh, but for any other event. And so a little bit more about Allbirds. So as I said, it's really focused on sustainability. They have an amazing story. And they just recently went outside of footwear as well. Recycled materials uh, launched in 2016. Within a couple of years, I mean, they're just doing crazy, crazy, crazy business. And they're, as I said, their mission is really to create the most comfortable shoes in the world while also being super sustainable. And I'm just really excited to have you here, Tim. So let's just jump into it. What did you do before All Birds? I gave a little hint of it with the being a pro soccer player, but talk to me a little bit about your life there. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's great to chat with you. I I grew up in New Zealand, and I left New Zealand when I was was eighteen. I came to America, went to design school at the University of Cincinnati, had an incredible experience there on a soccer scholarship, and uh, ended up kicking off for uh, a lack of a better way of putting it, a soccer career that went on for the best part of a decade, playing primarily professionally in in Australia and. Um, and being very, very fortunate to be part of a New Zealand team to the, that went to the World Cup in 2010, which I can't believe is a decade ago. Yeah. Wow. Which was a really, really special experience. And, and um, you know, the idea that was to become Allbirds was sort of born while I was doing, doing that back in probably, gosh, 2007, 2008. Amazing. And so were you – so how did you think about shoes, I guess? So obviously you're wearing soccer cleats most of the time, right? And what, what sort of – 
I mean, what was it that kind of got you so interested? You said you were a design major. Yeah, I, I've certain, you know, I, I'd fallen in love with design at design school. So the idea of sort of creating and design thinking and, you know, it's sort of something that was was me really. And and um and then I I had the sporting career kind of childhood dream and and um all of a sudden quite a lot of time in my hands. The afternoons were were largely free. And so I started to experiment and imagine different sort of brands and things that you might be able to make and never really through the lens of business, but certainly through the lens of curiosity, started to look at the footwear space. One of the best things about sport is you get lots of free gear. And I was sponsored by one of the big sportswear companies that shall not be named. And I used to get lots of free gear. And the footwear space was was an interesting one. It was sort of, when I look back, it was it changed all the time. It was very, very kind of bright and loud and logo-y. And it was very, very difficult, at least in New Zealand at the time, to find simple. It was kind of Chuck Taylor's and not really much else. So sort of set about, uh, you know, the initial insight was a design one. And it was, you know, if you're only going to make one shoe, you know, what would it look like and how would you do that? And that's the problem I set off to solve with no experience in shoes, no particular affinity for shoes, just maybe a curiosity to try and see if I could solve that particular problem. I love it. And I think you nailed it with that word curiosity. I think that that's the key thing that I see in great entrepreneurs is that they're just, they're kind of almost wondering why no one else is doing what they're thinking, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, right? It's, it, it's well, looking Well, at- I think that's right. Because there was no, there was no business plan. Um, there was no even conception of the fact that this was, you know, an idea that, you know, that I might devote sort of my, the next chapter of my professional sort of life to. It wasn't that. It was sort of Hey, you know, what if we did that? And I literally found a footwear factory on Google and I went and visited one in my off season on holiday and walked into this whole world that I didn't understand. And, um, you know. Uh, How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on. 
helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Uh, yeah. So it just started with that. And, um, and so I set off, set off trying to make this, this product and, and, uh, you know, along the way bumped into a whole bunch of other questions. And you're a co-founder. So how did you find your co-founder? So, you know, um, Joey's based in San Francisco. Uh, he is, uh, his wife and um, my wife were roommates at university. So we had met each other through them. And um, I went on to make that shoe. Fast forward 2007 World Cup. I retired from sport in 2012. So quick five years. Along the way, I've probably, I've spent, I've gone through hundreds of prototypes of this singular shoe and realized probably from my first visit into that, my very first footwear factory, that it is this incredibly, almost 
antiquated uh, method of manufacturing with a huge emphasis on sort of touch and human labor and what I would kind of call a prevailing low-cost mentality where everything's sort of made out of the cheapest stuff, Mm -hmm. primarily synthetic materials. So I started to imagine the possibility of, of, of combining this design ethos with a material one. And in New Zealand, there's lots of sheep. Uh, wool was this sort of huge industry that was in the decline. What if we actually use different sorts of materials from nature um, to, to to make this sort of, to realize this design vision? So literally over five or six years, I worked on that and retired from football, went to business school, worked on the idea even more, and then and, and launched the Kickstarter um, in 2014, which was really the the catalyst for meeting Joey and and taking this to the sort of the next level of of, of becoming a business. That's awesome. And so you didn't have any experience with Kickstarters. How did you know how to do that? I had a business school professor um, that I went to see, a guy called Carter Cast, who's a professor at uh, Northwestern. I uh-huh. was a business school in London, but spent some time there, um, like a semester in the spring. And I took an entrepreneurship class with him. And he called me into his office at the end of it. And I'd been working on this wool shoe idea. And, you know, at this point, you know, there's been a number of years have gone by. I've been through probably hundreds of prototypes, just chipping away at this thing, determined to try and resolve it. There'd been a research grant back in New Zealand from a pharma funding body to create the textile because it turned out that nothing really existed. So there'd been a lot of work. I just sort of ground grind away at this in my spare time. And, um, and then finally sort of found myself um, in a context where I was starting to get asked about what this would look like as a business. And mm-hmm margins and how do you scale it and who's the customer and what does the brand look like and i did this this just this glorious 10 weeks of looking at this thing in a completely different way and it was you know he called me into his office at the end of the the class and he said to me tim you know of everyone in this class is you know you seem to be the one most committed to actually sort of making something and doing this for real but i think you've got the worst idea this is a horrible idea i think it's going to i think it's going to fail you know shoes are too hard to make you don't know anything about shoes put it on Kickstarter or something so this can fail and then you can get on with your life because I worry you're going to be one of those guys that just works on this for way too long and oh makes, themselves, God, makes themselves miser- miserable. So I went home for Christmas and I called his bluff and, you know, for $700 with my brother's friend, shot a, a video on a sheep farm just out of Wellington in a place called Pahadanui and, and sort of threw it out into the world. That's hysterical. And what did he say when you raised the money? Carol, this is the way these things work. Right. People go out of their go out of their way to be that honest and forthright uh-huh. um, and, and critical with you. They tend to sort of be doing it as a sort of a, a compliment. And um, and of course, you know, Carter is an investor, a friend. I've kept in touch with him. He went out of his way to be really honest because he cared. He saw something there, and you know, and and if he hadn't, maybe this thing it wouldn't have happened. Um, the Kickstarter. I think I had six pairs of sample wool shoes. I think I had enough material for a thousand pairs of shoes, and I shot this video for seven hundred dollars. And uh, I think you can still see it on the internet. Me chasing sheep around a farm with my brother, and I put it up on Kickstarter in March of twenty fourteen. I think and. You know, in four days, we sold these a thousand pairs. I had to shut it off. We did one hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of sales, and this thing just kind of just exploded. And and um, and so you know, it was this. It was the. It was a real. It was a real moment. Carter was what he was telling me was like, have the courage to put this in front of you know a customer, see if they'll actually take money out of their pocket and and give it to you um, for this product that you're trying to make. See if it. See if there's something there. And then, so that's what I did. That's awesome. And so was the Kickstarter also, did you say, we'll get you a pair of shoes or were you just raising money? 
No, no, no. It was, it was selling the wool shoe, $95, yeah. same thing. It was, it was um, you know, it was New Zealand wool. It was uh, a unique material innovation. And I think it tapped into people's desire for something different, different in this enormous category. Uh, you know, I think I was, the design vision was very, very clear. We weren't selling a range of shoes or 10 different styles of shoes, as is, you know, the, the usually the way of doing things in shoes. It was a singular sneaker and it was focused on this idea of a new material. and. Um, I think maybe on some level people understood it. It was filling some sort of gap. And, you know, you talk about product market fit or sort of signs for me, at least, that it was the beginning of really going after this. So I, you know, I just graduated, never had a job. I played soccer my entire life. All of a sudden I found myself polishing my resume, imagining in London getting a job. And um, this Kickstarter thing took off. So, I, you know, I spent a year, you know, spending all my savings trying to deliver on it, getting, getting it underway through t- 2014. And did you come back to the U.S. then at that point? Where when? Did so you- Joe, Joey was, uh, you know, my girlfriend now wife at the time, uh, you know, was trying to support this sort of, um, I don't want to say deadbeat partner who was working on a wool shoe, shoe idea. She was trying to be super supportive, of course, and she sent the email out to all her f- friends. And Joey was one of the first customers on the Kickstarter campaign, and uh-huh. so he connected on the idea. And uh, we'd been friends; we'd seen each other, but we were still living in London, very much living in London, and and uh, really happy there. Uh, but got to the end of that year, and there was there was a, a, a I kind of got an investment offer. I'd been funding it largely through my own money and through the Kickstarter, so it was all very much on a shoestring. I had a couple of young guys helping me, but I was at this juncture where I was like, "Do I really want to do this?" And you know, my father was calling me a, a cobbler. Uh, I was, you know, I, I was like, what, "What?" I didn't, you know, as cool as this would be for the story, I didn't Isn't grow up on a sheep farm, awesome, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. And there's this one dinner I distinctly remember in London. I went around and I was like, I was like 32 at the time and everyone's in, you know, in that cool part of their career where they're sort of starting to work it out and they're making some, you know, money and went around the table. And uh, I remember like just being nervous. Someone was going to ask me what I was doing. I was like, and Lynn's and my girlfriend wife afterwards, she was like, what your body language, you shrunk, you shrunk down into like a little ball and you squeaked out wool shoes when people asked you what you were doing. I kind of lost confidence. I didn't know, like it was so uncertain and I couldn't find a way to do this. And I just didn't know what I was doing and making shoes was too hard and global supply chain. And, and I just, it was, I was like, please, please at this dinner table, no one asked me about what I'm doing. I just don't even want to talk about it. And so it was, it was the low point. It really was. So it's such a great story. So a couple of things that you said that I, I think and talk about, frankly, all the time, I always uh, suggest to want to be entrepreneurs to just get your product out there. And because you're going to learn so much when you get it out there, it's like have it pretty good. And definitely in the in the food and beverage space, it's got to be safe, right? You can't get anyone sick or kill anybody, right? But the but obviously, I mean, the stuff that we learned just by getting it on the shelf at Whole Foods was just unbelievable. We thought that having a clear label, my product hint, was that was the initial packaging. And what we realized is that we had never thought about who would be next to us. And if they had colorful labels, for example, ours would just sort of fade away into the shelf and just things like that, that that we definitely, you know, needed to upgrade on and and change but we just didn't see it before launching it we were so focused on obviously the inside and and sort of the packaging but um but just the learnings after that first product what do you think were the the big learnings for you 
Uh, it's so true. I mean, and, you know, and, and that professor at business school sort of said, like, have the courage to go see if, like, someone other than your mum is going to, like, pay for this. Yeah. And the, yeah. the, uh, you do it before you're ready so that you can learn. And, um, you know, products and businesses, are they're really hard and they're counterintuitive. And, I, you know, if, if you're in a, a room, even now as Orbit is growing and, and we're in a room about to launch something and everyone around the table is like, this is a great idea, I almost certainly know it's probably not going to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's counterintuitive for things to break to break through or to connect or to fill a gap in people's lives. Oftentimes, and I remember even as we got a little bit further down the road on preparing to launch Allbirds with Joey and, and after we'd raised some money, it, we spoke to a bunch of industry experts from the wool industry, from the footwear industry, and they were like, honestly, you're wasting your time. We've tried it. It won't work. You know, uh, does the world need another shoe? Like wool shoes will never, you know, it's impossible. And so you have all these naysayers. And so there's this, I mean, I think where I've sort of sort of landed in this process is, you know, if, you, if you're not seeking feedback from your business idea, you know, you're dumb. You're really dumb. But and you've got to do it as soon as possible. You've got to get it out in the world. But if you if you're listening to you're listening to all of it, you might be even dumber. The the best ideas are kind of counterintuitive and a little unusual and a little weird and don't make sense to people at first and you have to fight for it. So I th- I definitely think there's some lessons when I look back on that on that moment in time. Yeah. And also just getting it out there where consumers are going to pay for it. I mean, that was uh I don't know if if I shared the story with you before, but I had I had my doubter. It would I would say it's a little different than than what your uh, professor was sharing with you, but I had a a story about a year into this business when I was really just thinking it's just too hard to launch a beverage company. I had no experience and I got connected with an executive at Coca-Cola and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, you know, talk to him and he's gonna wave his magic wand and solve all my problems around uh creating, you know, making the product as well as distributing the product and uh about 15 minutes into the conversation, he said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. And I was like, whoa, you know, he's like my God, right? At this point. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, hot, cold, hot, cold over the fact that I'm sitting here hearing this. And then for the next 45 minutes, what I realized is that he talked to me about what he thought that the consumer wanted. And I already had a year of consumers telling me they were writing to me off of the email on my bottle telling me thank you for developing a water that doesn't have sweeteners in it that just has fruit and so while he's talking to me i'm thinking about my consumers and that relationship that i've got with my consumer and it's very different than what this gentleman from coca-cola was saying and in addition to that he never said the word health the entire one hour conversation. And it just sat with me. And I thought my purpose and my mission is to actually help people enjoy water and get healthier. And he's got a different mission. Maybe he doesn't even have a mission, but he's on a different river. And that's when I said, I got to throw the gas on and just get going. And, And so, but I think back on that conversation a lot. And I think also that relationship with the consumer that stickiness as soon as you can get it. And I think it's just absolutely critical for entrepreneurs. And I totally agree with you. When we have team meetings and we're all sitting around the table and we say, you know, what do you think? And everybody's like, oh, it's going to be great. That's when I get nervous. And I'm like, how can we go and 
figure out if people will buy it and just get it out there because that's when we're really going to recognize whether or not it's it's going to work. So you've now expanded beyond shoes. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the Kickstarter campaign was the catalyst for deciding whether, hey, is this a real business or not? And um, I met Joey and, and, um, and you know, I've sort of described two insights. The first one was a design one. The second one was a material one. But I was I was really struggling with a with the purpose or why am I doing this or what does this mean? If you're going to go after something so hard, you're going to build a business and, and it just takes so much. Why are you doing it? And in Joey, I, I kind of found the third leg of the stool, if you will. He had come from the biotech space out of you know uh, out of a you know it was focusing in his career on the environment and what he saw as an in sort of an impending climate crisis and what would be a need for businesses to make the products and services um, that they manufactured and delivered with uh, no environmental impact. And it was going to be huge upheaval in a lot of different categories and that there was a, a big opportunity in the fashion space to do things differently. So we, we kind of combined um, forces and visions in some ways. A design vision meets a vision of purpose and I flew out to San Francisco for 48 hours um, in March of 2015 and we were very different people, but we decided like this is something we wanted to do together and uh, came back and told my girlfriend and our wife like, hey, what do you think about San Francisco? We moved there in a big hurry, kind of got married. There was a ton of things going on and um, launched the business and um, started working out of his mother-in-law's house in August of 2015, um, the two of us in San Rafael, just outside of San Francisco preparing to sort of relaunch this product under the brand Allbirds on the 1st of March, 2016. So it was this whirlwind thing. And, um, you know, just to, just wanted to to layer in the purpose and climate change and the environment became, you know, honestly, it, it didn't get easier from that point, Cara, but that was the moment where I don't think we looked back because we had a reason that was larger than just making something. And it was, we coalesced around this idea of a business we were going to tell our grandkids about and, and we got busy. So that's that's what we did. I, I just love it. It's great. Now, you and I connected, I guess, a couple of months ago now. I don't know. I lose track of time. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not that long ago. Moment. And yeah. we were talking about the sustainability and, and some sure. of the measurement that you guys are doing. Sure. I'd love for you to share because it's, it's super inspiring. I mean, people, obviously, everyone's, everyone I know is, is, doing great stuff around sustainability, but I feel like you guys have actually put pen to paper and really measured it in a big way. And can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, th I think the foundational insight at the beginning was was Joey and I looked at the fashion industry, give or take, um, you know, 10% of global emissions, um, 20 billion pairs of shoes a year made on average. And we felt like it was a category that was sort of playing lip service to the idea of sustainability, quite honestly. And there was an opportunity to build a business and a brand and a and um, you know and a company from from the ground up with this purpose in mind, not tacked on at the end, but fundamental, intrinsic, a non negotiable part of of the way that we were going to make products. Not to make sustainable products because we were very very clear that people didn't buy sustainable. They didn't want to buy sustainable products. We didn't want to build a sustainable brand. We wanted to build a great product. Uh, that was great because it was sustainable and the opportunity to leverage natural materials 
in a footwear space that it was all entirely focused on synthetics, uh, leverage a vertical model with no wholesale so that we could invest in margin and supply chain and certifications and the best materials, uh, not just because they were better for the environment, but they made more comfortable, more refined, better product experiences was the big sort of unlock for us. And we did that with one shoe with wool. We've subsequently added it, uh, you know, with eucalyptus and uh, we've got a, a sole made from sugarcane, a you know, bunch of just material innovation is at the core of what we do as a business and a brand. And, um, you know, along the way, you know, there's, there's sustainability is a complicated topic, right? It means 10 different things to 10 different people. It means microplastics. It means air quality, land quality, animal welfare, labor welfare, you know, uh, so many, you know, so many different aspects to this that sometimes you solve one problem over here and you've actually made one thing worse. Yeah, over, over there. Yeah, it's, really it's complicated, right? Yeah, really complicated. So, where we, you know, four years in, we started to realize that carbon was really the north star that we wanted to rally around, that we wanted to focus our our kind of sustainability uh, work on. And you know, every single person has a carbon footprint. Every business has a carbon footprint. Every industry has a carbon footprint. Every country has a carbon footprint. They all add up to a global carbon footprint that we really need to. Uh, reduce and so the universal nature of that metric and the uh, the ability for that to kind of connect the fashion industry to the transport industry to the energy industry to connect New Zealand to Australia to connect you as an individual to this global problem was a big unlock for us and um, so we started to measure you know almost from the beginning our carbon footprint as a business we were then able to break that down to the individual products so we started to label our products with the kilograms of carbon. We're now paying to offset that. So there's an inbuilt sort of tax on our business to reduce that number. We've started to sort of bonus our executives against lowering it. So it's become, you know, a, a shift from sustainability as this emotional thing, usually with a list of stuff that you shouldn't be doing, to you know, you know, sustainability as a very objective measurement in a business with a with a financial cost and incentive to improve. And a really clear framework on how we wanted to make products and measure their impact. So it's been a real breakthrough for us. That's so awesome. I, I love that. So obviously 2020 has been a crazy year for everybody. What do you think is the biggest learnings that that you've learned from this year during managing during the pandemic? Gosh, you know, it's well, how, first of all, how fortunate we are. And as a, you know, as a business there is a lot of people out there struggling at the moment, and I, I feel very, very fortunate that you know, as a, a vertical business, primarily e-commerce business, we were very fortunate in terms of where we were to be able to to, to get through this. And I'm really proud of, of our team and how we've responded. You know, when we had a bunch of our retail stores shut down for a long period of time, we kept our team intact. We've really sort of worked through that. I'm really proud, but I'm, I'm also conscious of how fortunate we are. Um, so the business itself has been really resilient. You know, more broadly, I mean, I, I think it's been very, very difficult sort of sort of time, and um, you know, uh, the challenges of just grinding through this. It feels like every single day there's is something else going on. So it's been it's been a challenging year, but like like anything else, you, you know, you look at this car and there'll be opportunities in the middle of it. Probably in the lowest point, I read this column one day, and it was about was in the financial times of all places and someone sent it to me and it said that fdr u.s president and winston churchill had got together in 1939 in the depths of the second world war and imagined the united nations and it was like a light bulb went off for me a little bit that mm-hmm. in the permission to dream a little bit and mm-hmm. that as dark as this was there'll be possibilities coming out of it and we got the whole you know 
a big chunk of our company together and did a visioning exercise and imagined, you know, two or three years in the future and, and some of the opportunities that have come out of it. And it was a really sort of powerful turning point moment for us where we decided to sort of, we were going to just, we, we were going to sort of see this in a little bit of a different light. And that was a, a sort of a powerful moment for the brand and the business. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things changing and a lot of it's bad and difficult and, and, and equally there'll be some good things that come out of it. Totally agree. I think that the thing that we started a little earlier than you did, we've been doing this for 15 years now. So we've, wow, uh, good for you. Yeah. Good and for you. it's, uh, it's interesting because I think I, I, one of the things that I talk about in my book Undaunted that I just released a couple of months ago is that it's, uh, you know, 2008, 2009 was obviously a really challenging time in the world and very different than the pandemic. But we, I think being able to sort of manage through that really helped us to kind of know that it's going to be okay. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. totally different situation. We're an essential product. So, you know, we got, we got lucky in terms of uh, being a product that actually was prioritized um, in terms of distribution. We also learned what an essential product was as it related to actually being on the shelf and, um, and some of the, some of the rules that we had to follow in terms of making sure that we actually had enough water, um, to be able to supply and, and, uh, and, you know, continue to make as much as possible so that consumers would be able to, have water if necessary. Um, so, you know, in many ways, lucky in many ways, uh, you know, our factories were running 24 hours a day. I mean, it was a little nutty, uh, still a little nutty, frankly, but, uh, but really an ex- a super, super exciting time. So what do you think is the biggest piece of advice you'd say to that student who's, who's thinking about developing an idea? And I don't know, maybe also hears from the professor go try and do a Kickstarter campaign and, and get it out of your system. What do you think is the, is the key thing that, that you would say? Well, I, you know, I, I think in terms of Carter and that specific moment, um, you know, the people that go out of their way to sort of be that honest with you, um, stay close to them. They've, mm-hmm. they, they're usually paying you a compliment. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's one of those moments where you can go left or right. I could have walked out of that office and said, that guy doesn't have a clue and he's wrong. And, or actually what's he really telling me, which is, Hey, go give this a swing, and and so those moments, those inflection points, they sometimes are non obvious, and uh, you know, so so I think there's that. I think um, the importance of purpose. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a well trodden path at this point in terms of, you know, but for me, this was. I haven't looked back when I when when we started to pick our head up, Joey and I, and 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 imagine this business in ten years and going after a problem. Um, you know, that was really worth solving around climate change and the environment as part of our business. And I'd make the distinction there between like passion and purpose. Mm-hmm. I think passion as a word gets thrown around a lot. Like this, I'm passionate about the latest show on HBO. Purpose is a different thing. Purpose is going after a problem really worth solving and there's no shortage of them in the world at the moment. So I just sort of feel like if you can do that in the context of your business, you'll give yourself uh, an unfair competitive advantage. You'll fuel your your work in a way that will make it a lot more fun and meaningful. So do that, and just make sure that that's not something you tack on. That it's deep and connected and relevant and real. 
you know, and then I, I would sort of say the last thing and, and, you know, do it with someone. I, you know, I did it by myself for, for a little while and um, doing it with Joey has made this thing fun. You have someone to laugh in the face of the ridiculous totally. challenges and problems that you're trying to try to do it with. And I, there's a small subset of people that can do it by themselves. You may be one of them. I certainly wasn't. Um, but the idea of doing it with someone and then importantly doing it with someone who was, who's different from you, mm-hmm. who is, you know, who is a different worldview, a different cultural context, a different skill set um, has been really, really foundational for us. Um, so, yeah. And who wasn't afraid to keep you on track too. I happen to be, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I started the company and my husband, uh, who's an intellectual property uh, attorney from Silicon Valley, saw me writing huge personal checks off of our bank account and I think was very <laughs> like, worried initially. <laughs> totally. And he, but, but talk about, uh, talk about purpose. And uh, I mean, it was from day one when I, when I saw in my own life giving up diet sweeteners and started drinking water, I, I realized that if we could actually just get people to enjoy water, that a lot of health issues throughout the world, um, I was focusing initially on the U.S., but now, um, but very quickly, I I assumed throughout the world that it's not just about drinking water, but things like type two diabetes and lots of health issues. Kind of all roads kind of lead back to really what you're putting into your system, and and so that's when he got super interested in it. But again, I totally agree. Very different skill sets, and I throw as he says he. Kara throws the watermelons on the cart and I try to make sure that they don't fall off. And <laughs> so that's, that is, uh, you know, the operations, he's our chief operating officer. So it's, uh, but he's, he's also super passionate about the, he really had a science mind before he went to law school. He hated mm-hmm. being a lawyer. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so he's been really, we've, you and I talked about this, but we've taken 40% of the plastic out of the bottle. Um, we've done a ton of work around just the sustainability side, and that's really been him. And the other thing is automating our factories uh, so we don't actually have any people in the factory when we're filling the bottles, um, which during a pandemic, it ends up to be a competitive advantage and um, for, so that there is you know, no issues around people getting sick, um, especially with a food product. And when you're regulated by the FDA, all that kind of stuff um, is really, really important. And I give him a thousand percent credit for really being the person doing that. So, but I totally agree with you that it's, it's really a, um, you got to have a yin and yang in that partnership and not be afraid to push back on somebody when, you know, they're, they're, uh, you've got to, have that relationship because I think so often I meet founders who maybe met in business school and they're so much alike or uh, or they're not willing to sort of push back on on each other when I think that that's uh, such a key piece of it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, you want to be leaning into to people that think differently from you that you know, they have a different way of looking at the world and, um, you know, and good things come from that if you've got the courage to, to to do that, I think. And it's certainly the case with sort of Joey and I and I like to think that it's something that's sort of set the tone for the culture across the company and we have so many different parts of our business, so many different 
skill sets and backgrounds and and that's what makes it that's what makes it makes it interesting yeah absolutely the other thing that you touched on and probably not intentionally but i also talk about being a lifelong learner and i think lifelong learning is is really the key to staying engaged and happiness and i clearly hear that out of you as well just every day you're learning and and uh just uh, if you want to say anything else on that, how you feel about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think um, I think that's absolutely true, and and uh, wrapped up in that, I think is 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 humility to to not feel like you have all the answers. It's a weird thing, I think, when you're building a business, you have to toggle between sort of extreme humility and then sort of faux or real or whatever it is, wherever you draw it from, sort of confidence in the face of sort of probably overwhelming odds um, and you know at, at the core of that though I think is asking a lot of a lot of questions um, freeing yourself from the need to have all the answers but constantly questioning and, and even now you know we, we're nearly a 500 person company sort of five years into this and and um, there's so many things we can be doing better and continuing to think like that I think I take a lot of that from my from my sporting days constantly looking for you know, for for little ways you can improve, asking a lot of questions, the obvious questions that sometimes people are not always, uh, you know, confident enough to ask. And, and, and um, yeah, I think it's a really important part of our culture, certainly at Allbirds, but I think probably is a pretty pretty important thread, I think, with entrepreneurship. And, you know, it's the simplest questions. It was like your conversation with the guy at Coca-Cola, really, really simple things. And if people can't give you a good answer, I couldn't get a good answer as to why all shoes were made out of synthetics and I couldn't get a good answer about why a wool shoe hadn't been made before. So I went and tried and sold it. And so some of those things can be really powerful sort of launching pads. The simplest questions, the most overlooked and obvious ideas are, are often really good places to start. Well, and it's the benefit of not working in an industry, right? It, it, that's, that's, you were just asking because you were curious. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. yeah that, was my, that was my competitive advantage. Yeah. No, we have so many similarities, which I think is is uh, is the key. I think to launching into these new categories when you don't have experience is that if you've got the curiosity and the and the tenaciousness to just keep going after it, that's really uh, just so much more important than actually having that experience, I think, and especially out of the founder. So, well, Tim, this is super, super amazing. How do people find you and Allbirds? What's the best way? Allbirds.com is, uh, you know, depending on what country you're in, uh, where we're at. And it's just such a pleasure to, to chat with you. I really appreciate the the time and opportunity to chat and it's been fun. That's awesome. Great. Thank you so much, everybody. And if you liked this episode, which I'm sure you did, please give it five stars and subscribe and all that stuff. And we'll see you here every Monday and Wednesday. Thanks again. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. 
Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.